Jeff. Welcome to the show. Welcome, guys, to another episode of the RevOps and ABM Alignment. We have among us Jeff Perkins, um, political science, right, Jeff, like me? So that I is think... what I studied, yes, political <laughs> science. Not, not the most useful degree, uh, but sure. a very interesting one. <laughs> And then such and suchy, then a bunch of uh, interesting um, experiences in, in marketing. I mean, when I was a student, I was looking at such and suchy as this, uh, you know, su- untouchable company that you, 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 everybody wants to work for, for such and suchy. And especially this advertising uh, field. I have two other brothers. They also finished um, marketing in the UK and we were all the time looking at uh, the TV ads and trying to dissect the whole storyline and everything. So you work for those guys. You started, right, your career at such and such. And then obviously SaaS and everything evolved. When, When was that with such and such, Jeff? I started my career in uh, like the mid '90s uh, with Saatchi and Saatchi, and that was a time when you really only had like a few ways you can advertise yeah. to people, right? You had yeah. television, which was really the main medium, print, outdoor radio, uh, and that was about it. You didn't have all these digital channels at that point. And so it was all really ma- really mass marketing, um, big TV ads, reach as many people as you can. But when you do that, there's also a lot of inefficiency, right? If you're buying primetime TV, you're reaching everybody on primetime TV, all you know, tens of millions of people that are watching, uh, and maybe only a small fraction are right for your product. So, you know, I started my career doing what I would say is, you know, very expensive and very inefficient kind of marketing. And over my career, I've really pivoted uh, to being someone who does much more um, targeted, highly efficient campaigns that are driving uh, really a clear ROI. Yeah. And, and now you guys, the company where, where you work at, you do very specific thing, right? Like the whole compliance. Tell us a bit about this, um, like what you get, what you what you do today. Um, give give us a little bit of bio. Um, obviously, I will go through uh, today through your experience, and I, I really want to do an exercise of um, how did we get to ABM. Because I, I have a feeling that ABM was there since the 80s, because basically it's a list of companies that you try to target and basically you do marketing towards those companies. And we just got fancier with the technology, right? And and it got a sexy words, RevOps and, and ABM. But uh, I would like to, to go through the basics a bit. So... If you could tell us a bit about the company where where you work today, a bit about you, because you have a huge experience in in marketing overall. Sure, I'll, I'll start with a little more more about my background, and we already talked about my uh, the start of my career in advertising. So I spent about ten years doing mostly traditional advertising, 
and it was a time when the media landscape was shifting and, and shifting significantly with digital advertising. So uh, all of these big advertising agencies that were really built for making television ads were pivoting into digital. And I was sort of on the forefront of that. I worked at Saatchi and Saatchi's uh, digital arm. And then I worked at an agency called um, DDB and I worked in their digital arm as well as these big agencies are trying to navigate sort of the new wave of advertising opportunities that are coming into the market. And so and I, I shifted a bit into digital. The, I yeah. think, uh, j just to put some context to, to it and for people to understand, you worked with brands like Pepsi, HBO, and so on. So we are talking about very big budgets, a lot of uh, um, customer insights, let's say, and um, you know the whole storylines. And and it, it's it's a slower pace, but I have a feeling you you guys went a little deeper into the understanding the personas or the insights and the storylines and the copywriting. How do you see this evolution? Because you 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 had that traditional and then the digital, um, in terms of customer insights. Yeah, I worked on big brands with big budgets, <laughs> which gave us a lot of opportunity. I actually I had the I had um, a client, uh, mobile uh, was the oil company, and they were merging with Exxon. So you're bringing mm. these two giant oil companies together to form Exxon Mobil as we know it today. Yeah. And uh, the, the agency was doing the television campaign for the merger and I got tapped to do some of the digital. And at the time they had carved out about like $20 million to spend on digital advertising more mm. or less in one day. They said, when we launch Whoa. that day, we want to spend about, you know, they were going to spend several hundred million. They were going to spend, 10% of it in digital. So they wanted to spend 20 million in digital. There wasn't $20 million of inventory to buy mm, <laughs> at yeah. that point. Like then we I had suppose. to go buy every big homepage placement. And we kind of took over the internet for you know 48 hours. But at that point, it was so immature. I mean, it was so much work to kind of just get the ads to the publishers so they can put it on their websites. It was all manual. There were no display CPM. networks. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a it was a <laughs> it was a whole thing. But you know, the second part of your question is interesting because it goes to the fundamentals of marketing, which I don't think have evolved that much. It's the the ways you market, the mediums have changed, but at the end of the day, it's really about the right message in front of the right consumer at the right time to drive from awareness to action. Uh, I don't think that's changed. That it, actually, I know it hasn't changed. That's still the core mm. of marketing, having a deep, deep understanding of who you're talking to, understanding the key message points that are going to drive that person to some kind of action, and then really, really strong execution of that in the creative format, whether it's a television ad, a digital ad, a search ad, whatever it is. But it all starts with the foundational pieces of having a really, really compelling message that is going to resonate with your target audience, your target buyer, your target persona. Um, and so mm. that's the thing that hasn't changed. Uh, like everything has changed in marketing except understanding your audience 
and building messaging that is going to really resonate with that audience. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling that sometimes we marketers are like a broken radio because we repeat this over and over. Um, why, I mean, why do you think we need to repeat so many times? Isn't that basic? Isn't that clear enough? Like, what makes us come back to these basics? Right. I, 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 I just try to mm, uh, think about it because for me, so, so obvious, right? And maybe for you also, but right. we are keep saying this for some reason. Well, marketing has been in search for decades of a, a silver bullet on how you do marketing, right? There's, mm. if you do this, you will be successful in marketing. Yeah. And if you, if you have this television ad on this network at this time, you'll be successful. If you have this technology, you'll be successful. And I really think in a lot of ways, the proliferation of technology has hidden the fact that if your messaging isn't right, if you don't understand your audience, if you don't have good product market fit, all this new technology probably isn't going to help you that much. Um, mm. So, you know, marketers have all these cool tools right now. And it's, it's, I think, really challenging for a lot of us because I think people who are in the marketing field and have careers in the marketing field, we tend to be um, a bit ADD. We have a attention deficit disorder and we like shiny objects. Yeah, and the shiny of, object syndrome, right? Yeah, there's lots of tech <laughs> out there that you can go buy. And when you look at it, you're like, that's going to solve my problem. No, that's going to solve my problem. And I think the reality is the technology uh, could help you improve your results. But if your fundamentals are broken, it doesn't matter if you have uh, Marketo or Sixth Sense or uh, Jasper or any of these super cool tools out there, uh, you're probably not going to be super successful if you don't get the fundamentals of marketing right. Yeah, and I... I, I so... I look at I look at your LinkedIn and I know that like you in 2012 you were doing inbound and inbound sales and I think that was the moment when HubSpot came along right like um and that was a first shiny object syndrome that we need to jump on right on the blogging on the content on the ebooks of all of that and then from that moment on, we evolved and we evolved and uh, we we had this um, need of seeking new tools, new strategies, and so on. But at the end of the day, it's um, it's, it's uh, the basic: really, really get to know your customers and make sure you are where the channels are. So. After all this experience um, in, let's say, the traditional marketing, you started to go into more entrepreneurial, right? And and I think it was more B two B when you went to uh, Trisantis, or when when it was the this shift to to B two B. I shifted to B two B really when I um, I took a job at a company called Auto Trader. Ah, so, okay. So um, yeah, so AutoTrader, uh, you know, the largest um, website in the United States for uh, buying and selling cars, 
and they're but it's a two-sided marketplace so you have the mm. consumer side where consumers are coming to the website to look at cars to contact dealers and then you have the b2b side of the business where you're getting inventory mostly from uh, new and used car dealers around the country and so my focus was on the b2b side so how do we target these car dealers how do we promote our value proposition to them how do we continue to stay in front of them as they're considering all of these online advertising and offline advertising choices, they're allocating a fair share of their dollars to, to auto traders. So that was really my first foray into B2B after having about 10 years in consumer business. Uh, from auto trader, I went to a company called PGI. PGI was a big, uh, it was a New York uh, traded public company on the New York Stock Exchange. So big enterprise company. We sold audio, web, conferencing, um, really anything to do with online collaboration uh, we had mm -hmm. solutions for. And that's where I ran marketing and, and sales and where we really kind of dug deep on, on the B2B. But then after that company, I got kind of an entrepreneurial itch. And that's when I went to uh, what is now called Tricentis. At the time, it was called QA Symphony. And I joined that company. It was about a million ARR um, and had a great run there. We, were, we grew it to 20 million. We raised 50 million in uh, a B round and a C round along the way while I was there. So that was super fun because it was very early and it was all the fundamentals of how do you, uh, not how do you manage a marketing program when you come into a job, but actually how do you build one from scratch and build one from the ground up and do it the right way uh, to drive really, really strong results for a high growth business. So that was, that was my experience at Tricentis. So this was the, the SaaS, right? Like the first SaaS you you started to work at after the um, the PGI. Oh, PGI was also SaaS. We sold. Oh, it we was like, SaaS. Okay. Yeah, we would sell. We were kind of like um, Zoom. We you know or go to meeting. We sold competitive products to to those companies. Um, so so you know I I think I've been in SaaS probably since uh, 2012. Uh, I think mm. is when I started working in SaaS. Um, and, and have been doing it in, in different variations ever since. So I suppose you touched a lot of, let's say, tools and tactics and so on. If you would dissect, like, fast forward to 2024, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the uncertain times and this SaaS bubble also, like SaaS companies buying from SaaS companies. Um and if you dissect all the experience that you have, in in your view, what are like some basics that we as marketeers in 2024, we should really pay attention to and we should never let it slip uh, between our fingers? Yeah, an interesting thing that I see, an interesting dynamic that is going on is because you have all this really cool cutting edge tech out there, um, you have companies that are just buying it like crazy. Like, oh, we need Gong and we need Sixth Sense. We mm. need all these tools. <clears throat> and those are great tools and, and maybe you do need them. But the, the interesting dynamic I see is that when you look at where your, uh, your leads are coming from, generally, uh, the two primary sources are still uh, SEO mm. and email, good old fashioned mm. email. 
And, and yeah. this has been my experience across a couple of companies. I talk to a ton of marketers. I always ask them, so where are your leads coming from? You know, SEO and email. <laughs> and, mm. and maybe so, events if it's bigger deals, right? Could, could be events, but even the event leads are going to be small compared to a company that is really strong in SEO and really strong with their lifecycle marketing. Uh, and so you have to kind of look at everything through that lens of, okay, if even with all this cool tech out there, if the majority of my leads are still coming from SEO and email, am I optimized in those channels? And I swear it, it, it gives me heartburn when I look at some websites for B2B SaaS companies and they're not on page one for the category they're competing in. They don't have any kind of email program going out to both people in their database, prospects, customers. Um, and that's a lot of companies I think are missing sort of like the, the core fundamentals of what you have to do as a marketer, which is um, being in places where you can be found, really. And that, that comes down to search engines where people are researching terms related to your category getting people into your database and then keeping them uh, active by having good content that keeps your business top of mind. And I, I think when I look at everything out there, I think th probably the missing piece for a lot of marketers is they're not getting those basic things right. And the reason they're not is because they're maybe not focused on them or they, they see the shiny objects in these new tools and they allocate too much mind share there and they take their eye off the ball. But you know, one of my big pieces of advice when I advise companies is get the basics right. You know, if your website is terrible, your website serves as your virtual sales rep, right? You have to think of your website as your seller. So if your website isn't telling your story effectively and it's not getting you ranked in the search engine, so it's getting people to your website, you're going to be missing out on a lot of opportunity that probably will be going to your competition. So that that's probably the biggest thing. Now there's a there's a great place for um, for a lot of the ABM tools out there. Like uh, like we use Sixth Sense at at my current mm -hmm. company. It works very well for us. It helps us kind of define our segments, get ads in front of our segments to help you know when our outbounding efforts are going against people that are being exposed to our ads. We find it works a lot better. But if we didn't have the basics right, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable investing in that technology. Um, until we get the SEO, the email programs uh, figured out. Th thank you for bringing this up. Uh, I would like to zoom in a little bit more just for um, us to understand. Um, when we say email, we don't say email outreach because majority of these SaaS uh, right. companies have email outreach as their uh, primary. We are talking about uh, lead nurturing and just for a context for um, for you to know, when I started marketing, I, I was in sales. I mainly worked in corporations, in DHL and Electrolux, in learning and development. And then I switched into sales and marketing. But my background is in learning and development. Um, and I like to dissect things. So if I'm annoying in, in you know, zooming in and, and dissecting things... Uh, in marketing, I started actually uh, in info marketing, which interesting because everything is around the funnels and around the SEO, you know, the click funnel type. We were doing um, triathlon, we like triathlon camps 
for triathlon wannabes. We took all the Ironman. I don't know if you're familiar with the triathlon mm. scene, but yeah. we took all these uh, Ironman champions like Craig Alexander, like seven times Ironman winner and all his crew. And we were doing different camps online and uh, camps in Denver, in Barcelona, in different places. Um, and they were high ticket, like it was 2015, 2016, and they were like 5K, 6, 6K uh, camps, you know, for for few days. So all we did was um, SEO, ads, and basically funnels, lifecycle, like nurturing, right? So um, then I took that into B2B. But I would like us to explain uh, a bit how a, a you know, click funnel, like the, the typical Russell Branson uh, marketing, why is that important? Because that's the life cycle marketing, right? In a way, like sure. all, the, all the nurturing and understanding each and every stage of the uh, customer and giving them the right content for the jobs to be done. Right, like right. this is how I would define it. Um, could you tell us an example from your experience, like how you guys did life cycle before Six Sense or before any other uh, sexy tool out there? Right. Yeah, one of the the big things that I've always seen with, especially with selling SaaS is that we we trick ourselves into thinking uh, that, oh, it's a 30-day sales cycle. They <laughs> see, they, they sub submitted a demo request and we reached out and we did the demo and we negotiated the contract. Boom, you know, we got a new customer. 30-day yeah, sales cycle, convenient, awesome. Right? Yeah. So you have to go into every close one deal and one of the things I really like to do is um, one is look at all the engagement over time for that deal, not just on the specific contact, but for the whole company and see how many contacts are in the database from that company, how much engagement they have with your website, your content, your virtual events, how have you met them at trade shows. And oftentimes what you see is that 30 day sales cycle was actually like a two year sales cycle because we met people at an event two years ago, they got into our database, they've gotten you know one to two emails a month for the last two years. They've clicked on those emails and engaged. They showed it to a webinar. Uh, they've, they've been on our website you know 50 times without submitting a demo request, right? So you have to really deconstruct it. But then the other thing that I find very helpful is when a deal goes closed one, as soon as it goes close one, have the sales rep set up a 30-minute meeting with someone in marketing. And the purpose of that meeting is all about understanding the customer journey at, at a granular mm. level. And, and so you want to spend time with this customer. Tell me, how, how did you learn about us originally? Oh, mm. I saw you at a trade show and I talked to somebody and I, I've been getting your email newsletters and I, I really like your webinar series. Um, or, or they may just say, well, I was in the market for your product and mm -hmm. I Googled, you know, what's the best QMS product and you were on page one 
and you were on G2 and you were on all these places, they might tell you that also. But what it's going to unveil are the, the real dynamics of the customer journey, not just what campaign code you see in Salesforce tied to the demo request. And that's where marketers got, got to go deep. That, that's a big recommendation. Really understand with every deal you're winning, like where they came from, how they learned about you, what kicked off the evaluation process, uh, what competitors were in the deal. Really, it's, it's, it's almost like an autopsy, an autopsy mm. of, of, of a body, right? You have to get in there. You have to look under the hood. You really have to figure out everything that went on. Because when you do that, it will tell you a very different story than you'll get out of the CRM. And it'll inform where you should be investing more, maybe where you should be investing less. And so that's a big recommendation is really um, look at the data, but then actually have those human interactions with your customers that you're winning or losing uh, and really get to the bottom of that customer journey from awareness to action. Yeah, and I think if you don't do that, then you you go into this sh shiny object syndrome because you have some kind of uncertainty, right? Like you don't know what exactly would work for you or you don't know what could work, right? But if you do the, uh, you dissect this, then it's, it's much clearer. And then and with time, right? Like you don't, you should not expect that in, in like few months in a new role as a CMO, you you figure it out. Well, you could figure it out pretty quickly because what, what you find when you do these interviews with customers is that there's usually a lot of consistency, at least mm. on how they learned about you uh, and what sources they use. And I'll give you an example. When I was at Tricentis, uh, we had no marketing budget, right? We were a million in ARR. We were growing fast, but we really didn't have a budget to work with. And so it became very, very important that whatever budget we had, we invested that in a really, really smart way. And mm. so I talked to a lot of customers and I said, how'd you, how'd you originally find out about us? And, and they all said the same thing. They're like, you know, I, um, I was Googling uh, what's the best uh, test case management solution. And I found all these blogs that have the lists of the top 10, the top 20 best test case management solutions. And you guys were on the list. And so I put you on my short list for evaluation. And I said, all right, what are these websites? And they, they listed a couple of them. And we went in and did some research. And there were basically like three websites that had these lists mm -hmm. of the top test case management tools. And we were on all the lists, but we were pretty far down. So we were like, one of the lists, we were like 12, one of them, we were eight, one of them, we were like 24. Um, and so we said, all right, how do we get up in the listings? And we reached out to all these websites. And these are not like, this wasn't G2. This was softwaretestinghelp.com run by a guy out of India in his basement. And yeah, yeah, like some blogs or whatever, right? Right. And so we reached out to all of them and we, we asked them all, we said, hey, I, we think we're a better product than you're ranking us. Can we show mm. you our product? demo it for you. And maybe you could reconsider and move it up the ranking. And they all said, they're like, well, Jeff, if you pay us, we'll, we'll put you at number one. Yeah. I mean, these are AdSense <laughs> guys, right? They're like, we don't <laughs> care. They're like, you pay. <laughs> and so, and this wasn't like, oh, we have to pay a hundred thousand or a million dollars. This was like $1,500 a year 
And we were at the number one slot on these three key websites. All right. So whenever someone searched for what's the best test case management tool, these three websites popped up and we were number yeah. one on all of them. And the impact of moving from like six or eight or 12 to number one, it was almost a 10x increase in our demo requests overnight. Awesome. And, and that's where I get Love to it. like, you got to find those watering holes. You got to find those places, whether it's the digital world, whether it's a trade show, where your buyer is congregating, getting information. And that's where you go all in with your marketing investment. You want to spend money where your buyers are, where they're gathering information and they're starting the evaluation. And that's where you're going to really see that return on marketing investment. Thanks. That's awesome. I mean, I, I, I think... Um... Mm, that's basic that we should we should look at. But let's help now our um, CMOs or our listeners. Um, let's let's do a guide for them, like ninety days plan in a new role of CMO at B two B SaaS in two thousand twenty four. What should be in that um, in in that ninety days plan, and how should we uh, divide the job? What should be the timeline in your view? Yeah, I would look at, I would look at three key things in your 90 day plan. Um, first is around the team. Like you want to get mm -hmm. to know your team. You want to understand the structure of the team. You want to really, um, build those relationships, both with your marketing team, with your, uh, peers at the executive level. That's a big part of it. So it's spending a lot of one-on-one -on -one time and spending a lot of time with the team to really build those uh, build those relationships, get to know people, understand if you have the right people in the right seats. Um, if you don't have the right team, you're probably not going to be successful. So the first part is around really getting to know that team and really understanding at a deep level who does what and and if they're seeing if there are gaps there. So that's that's number one is the, the Would team. you do some competency map? Or, I mean, sorry for my corporate uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, vocabulary, but will you do some kind of competency map to understand who knows what and uh, what roles you might need? And if this particular team can fill in those roles, maybe you need to do hiring or anything like that. Yeah, I think, I think that comes with number two, which mm -hmm. is really kind of, getting into the guts of like, what's going on in this business? Uh, what's working? What's not? Deep dive analytics, uh, really kind of getting getting your arms around the way you're marketing today, and then probably the way you need to market uh, going forward. So understanding who your uh, ideal customer profile is, making sure you have the right customer profile that um, your customer profile, the, the total addressable market is big enough so you can grow uh, appropriately. Um, so the second part is really understanding the business and, and to your point, then saying, OK, uh, here are the problems in the business today. Here are the resources I have from a team perspective and figuring out uh, where those uh, gaps are. Like maybe you're mm -hmm. uh, you don't have any lifecycle marketing and you don't have any lifecycle people on staff. That's a gap you're going to have to fill. Uh, so kind of doing a lot of that work to figure out what are the most important things that marketing has to deliver for the organization and then figuring out, do I have the right people in place to, to do those things uh, today? Mm -hmm. That's the second part. And then the third part, and, and this is 
really super critical for new CMOs coming in. It's identifying what I would call the quick wins uh, within the business. So mm-hmm. within within any company you come in to lead a marketing organization, you're going to see things that are working, things that are not working. You're going to see things that uh, are going to require a lot of time to fix. And you'll hopefully see things where like, oh, we can knock that out in a week and, mm-hmm. and we'll be done with it. So I always recommend that people identify maybe two to three quick wins that you can do within probably the first 90 days. And it could be something as similar as, uh, hey, our our collateral, our sales collateral is really bad. You know, we need a facelift mm-hmm. on it or so, something that is is easily executable. Because when you come in and you take on some big projects, so say you come in, you're saying, okay, we need to rip and replace the marketing automation platform. And we need to implement a whole new process around ABM. And I want to buy mm-hmm. these three softwares and get them implemented. And I want to rebrand. Um, all of those That's things. Those are big, big stuff. <laughs> those take a massive amount of time and energy and resources to do, right? Yeah, and yeah. the risk that a lot of marketers have is that uh, the longer you take on some of these projects and initiative, the more that the organization may be sitting around waiting for you to deliver, especially yeah. uh, your executive team or your board. Maybe like, well, we hired Jeff six months ago. What has he done? Well, he's been working on implementing marketing automation. Like, yeah, I wanted to ask great. you about that. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you about that as a follow up question. Like, what were some of the expectations that you saw that uh, from board, from CEOs, or from leadership team towards you as a CMO or other CMOs in the in the space, and what to be careful at? Yeah, you know, so I've I've been a CEO in addition to being a CMO, so mm-hmm. I, I've worn different hats. At the end of the day, in most cases, your CEO is not a marketing expert. Um, I, you know, Mm -hmm. I was a, a, I was, I was a marketing expert as a a CEO, but generally they're not marketing experts. Uh, They come out of finance or sales (laughs) or operations. Um, But at the end of the day, the CEO wants results. The board wants Mm -hmm. results. They want to be able to to draw a, a straight line between this is what marketing is doing. And this is the impact on the business, okay? Mm. And so when you are uh, in the CMO seat, that's the most important thing is that you can really show clearly how marketing is driving the business, how marketing is helping acquire customers, how marketing is helping retain current customers, how marketing is enabling the sales team to go win more deals. Um, You have to be able to really show that with data and that's the key to working with your CEO and your board um, and, and building that credibility and trust that marketing is allocating uh, the resources that we're giving them in the smartest and most efficient way possible. It's absolutely critical. Uh, what you can't do as a marketer, and, and I've seen marketers do this in the past, is you go off and you become kind of a black box and you're just doing stuff and you're saying, oh, just trust me, it's going to work. Um, that's not a great way to do it. You need to be super transparent on what you're working on, what bets you're making, and then being very, very open on what's working and what's not and showing those results quantitatively. So your board, your executive peers, your CEO can all say, all right, we believe in this guy. We believe in this program. We think it's going in the right direction. Um, and in the best case, 
uh, we like it so much, we're going to give Jeff more money so he could spend more on all these programs that are driving uh, results for the business. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling that um, alignment is another um, topic here that comes from expectations of the of the board, right? Because if we look at, um, I think, 2018, there was a huge push from the market and from different um, technology companies also on this alignment, right? Alignment between marketing and sales because they were on, on silos. But... Um, before we go into alignment, do you think it was really only about the technology or it was it was the, the education of the or the know-how of the of the management team on this idea of hey, we need to align and and work towards revenue, both marketing, sales, and customer success rather than have the departments, siloed and um, have very specific CMO type of KPI instead of attributing, you know, the deal closed to to the marketing campaigns, right? I would say that good marketers have always been closely aligned with sales and mm. and good marketers understand that if sales is not successful, marketing is not successful. And I don't think this went back to 2018. I think this is, you know, this has been <laughs> in high performing organizations, which I've been lucky to be a part of. We've been very, very closely aligned between sales and marketing where um, I have seen misalignment in the past, though. And uh, the, the worst case scenario is you go into a quarterly business review and marketing gets up there and talks about all the cool stuff they're doing and all these leads they're generating. And we kind of pat ourselves on the back and we talk about the growth of the brand and we drop the mic and get off the stage and go sit down. <laughs> and then what happens next? The sales guy gets up and the sales guy says, well, we missed our number. We don't have any prospects. Our pipeline's dry. Marketing's not helping us. I've actually been in these meetings before. <laughs> and it's super painful when you don't have that alignment. I've always believed like you just have to be sort of tied at the hip with the sales team because as a marketer, you need the insights. I mean, they're talking to customers every day. And if you're not getting those insights out of them, you're probably missing something uh, and missing something that could actually make your marketing work a lot harder for you. So I'm I'm a big believer in like that connection between sales and marketing. And I think, I think marketing has got to really be the one to get out there and make sure they're, they're dragging sales guys into the conversations and they're, they're putting those meetings on the calendars and they're very, very closely connected because if they're not, um, you're just going to miss something. Now, I, I, at one point in my career, I actually managed both a marketing team and a sales team. Mm. And one of the great things is this was a team that was, uh, the sales team was managing inbound leads. And so the marketing team was tasked with driving the leads. The sales team was tasked with managing them, closing them. Okay. Uh, this was PGI, right? Like the... This was at PGI. Now, PGI, the great sorry. thing I had going is I had a marketing director and I had a sales director and I made them talk like every day. And <laughs> what they would do is they would check in in the morning They would, and then they would check in maybe late in the afternoon. And if we were experimenting with some new digital campaigns, we can get actually real-time feedback 
from sales on what kind of leads we were generating. So sometimes uh, my sales director would call this the uh, or the marketing director would call the sales director and say like how how are the leads looking today and the sales director would say oh you know they're terrible it's so spammy everything's spam coming in what's going on and they're like oh shoot we turned on this new kind of campaign let's go turn that off and reallocate mm -hmm. that into other things and the impact and of that, yeah. that that like you think about that you're you're essentially optimizing spend in real yeah. time with feedback from sellers that are managing the leads as yeah. opposed to doing it at the end of the quarter when you realize right. you've already spent like a ton of money and it was spent in the wrong place. So being able to get that real-time feedback, optimize campaigns in real time is hugely powerful and makes the resources you're given as a marketer just work that much harder for you. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think having that and also having... Um, being in the same system, right? Because sometimes, you know, we have sales in Salesforce and HubSpot in, for marketing, and then there might be also some um, data missing. When you cannot do this, this type of uh, real-time feedback in terms of um, meetings or having conversations, you can actually go into the system and... and figure out what's happening if you're savvy enough, right? Uh, before we end, I, I, I would like to open a new topic, habits. And um, 2024, um, AI and all of that, like what new habits should we, um, as marketers working in B2B, um, start to, to implement? And what are those bad habits that we should, you know, that you see repeating over and over again, and we should forget about. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the good habit is um, really forcing yourself and your team to stay on top of what's happening with AI and the evolution of it. And mm -hmm. that could be um, following some thought leaders. It could be we at my current company, um, one of our uh, my my marketing director, he's really deep on AI and he does office hours every week. So mm. people could come in and, you know, just ask questions about like things they're working on in AI. We had an outside consultant come in and do a full day training with my team around current AI tools, what they see, where it's going. Uh, and so it's it's really created a culture of learning, especially focused on AI, because my belief is that uh, AI is really changing the game for marketers. Yeah. Probably when I think about technologies that have changed the game, um, I would go back to say like Google search changed the game. Yeah. And nothing's really changed the game until now. And I don't yeah. think we really understand how it's going to change the game completely. Um, some marketers are scared. They're like, it's going to put me out of work. I don't think that's the case. I think it actually is going to supercharge everything yeah. we're doing. Um, I think about things that I, I spent hours doing in the past, like, you know, we'll do a webinar and then you have to get the blog post at, posted after the webinar. And so you have to rewatch the webinar, get the transcript and think about what the key takeaways were. Now you could literally put the transcript of the webinar into ChatGPT and say, give me like 10 lessons from this webinar. Yeah. And, and it's done like within, you know, 10 minutes and, and you just have to go and edit the blog post. 
those are the kind of things that are really helping marketing teams move faster, get more out of the resources they have. So I, I think that's the good habit is um, really forcing yourself to, to stay on top of AI, to learn everything you can about AI. And then, you know, I think the bad habit, um, I would, I would encourage marketers to, to get rid of is, is the over-reliance on looking at Salesforce or HubSpot reports rather than spending time talking to customers. Mm. Um, you can't manage, you, you're not going to get a lot of insights from Salesforce. You'll get some, yeah. hopefully, just reading some of the notes, but you got to talk to customers. So again, mm. I encourage everyone after deals are closed, won or closed, lost, take the time, talk to the customer, really get under the skin of what went on with that deal to either get it to a won or a lost status. Um, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a good habit, but the bad habit is just over-reliance on the, uh, the CRM data to kind of under, try to understand what's happening in the business. Yeah, time time with the customer, right? Like the single most important KPI out there. Um, yeah, and and on on that habit, because you you were telling about the webinar and the transcripts, something I'm doing now for a few months is um, I don't know if you're familiar with Obsidian, but the, in the de developers community, it's like uh, um, it's like local uh, notion. Um, and this, there is this um, um, coined term uh, in on on Reddit, uh, building your second brain, right? So what a bunch of developers do is that put all the notes, all the research that they do, all the um, different highlights or notes that they take when they read books, like all the articles that you read, uh, even doing some kind of daily notes, um, like a reflection of the day, and put everything in, in, in Obsidian, and then tag it, have it locally done. And then when you bring AI in, into this, and when you link everything up, it's, it's, it's just amazing because you, can, you, are able to, you are able to prompt all this knowledge base. So imagine that you, you you built all these notes, all these annotations, all you made all the notes. You maybe sent even your your customer calls there or some interviews that you did, and now you're able to um, to prompt this with AI, right? Like whenever you 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 want to do some um, LinkedIn posts or you want to remember what you talked with this customer about. It's just a prompt away, and I think mm -hmm. uh, having this habit of of um, downloading, right, or or having a place yeah. and 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 keeping technology organized, the knowledge base, right, um, it, it it's something that will help us make more space um, in in our brains to accumulate rather more knowledge. Then go out and and search for that in and uh, have that um, be overwhelmed by the amount of information because this is the main idea. We are overwhelmed, and that's why we want to create a second brain. So um, I think I would I would recommend that as a as a new habit for for the next year. Great, Jeff. Thanks a lot. If you could. Just tell the the community a bit where they can find you and what is one 
recent um, marketing or sales or tech book that you would recommend uh, for the listeners before we finish? Sure. Sure. Uh, people could find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Jeff Perkins. Uh, I'm, I live in Atlanta because there's probably a lot of Jeff Perkins on LinkedIn. I live in Atlanta. <laughs> My current company is Greenlight Guru. So you can find me there and, and follow me on LinkedIn. And as far as books, I guess I'll recommend my own book. I have a book. It's called Please uh, Tell Us How Not to Suck at Marketing. Um, you can Sweet. learn more about my book at hownottosuckatmarketing.com. I think I describe it as sort of a survival's guide for the modern marketer. So, you know, I kind of talk a lot about the mistakes I've made in my career, things I've learned, and how marketers need to constantly adjust to sort of the new normal as, as our, our, you know, our function kind of reinvents itself every uh, few years. So uh, I would I would say check that out. And uh, if you like it, just just uh, send me a note. And let me know what you think. Thanks a lot, Jeff. It was an honor to have you here at the uh, podcast. Thanks a lot for the listeners and have a great rest of the day. You too, Cheers. Romeo. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.